Good morning, Mr. Curtis. Have a seat. Thank you. Uh, Jason, is it? That's right, Mr. Curtis. I'm Stephen's assistant, his right-hand man, you might say. He asked me to speak to you today. Can I call you Richard? Um, no, I don't think so. Fine, no problem, no problem whatsoever. Now, Stephen wants me to pass on his apologies for not being here in person today. He's looking after a bit of an emergency with the actors. Something about Matt Smith demanding free Capri's son in his trailer. He's put his foot down. No problem. But he wants me to tell you that he's read the script and he thinks it's brilliant. Very kind. Funny, moving, articulate. Your best work since Blackadder back and forth, Stephen says. High praise indeed. If we had our way, we wouldn't change a word. But, uh, well, there's just one problem. Oh? Yeah, just a little budget wrinkle we need to iron out. Right. It's just there isn't any. What? Budget. Left. We we spent it on the giant disembodied rotating head of RTD for the finale that shoots laser beams out of his mad bulging eyes. Oh dear. What does this mean for Vincent and the Doctor? Who, who, sorry? It's the title of my script. Right, well, um, nothing really. Just a tiny, almost insignificant change. I don't think it changes the plot much. Go on. We can't have the alien... Excuse me? Well, well, we can't afford it, I'm afraid. A giant cyborg, skinless avian with a jetpack and venom-tipped tentacles. It's, it's not an option in the current financial climate. But it's the central antagonist. What do you suggest I do? Well, Stephen had some ideas, actually. Good. Well, I'm, sh- I'm sure the mind that came up with Blink can work out a solution without adversely affecting the narrative. Yeah, yeah, me too. Right, uh, first idea. Could it be a Dalek? A Dalek? Yeah, we've got five of them lying around, all paid for, no problem. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, well, no no problem. Stephen's got loads more ideas. I'll just rush through them. Uh, The alien dies before the episode starts. Stupid. The alien is a hand puppet. No. The alien looks like Matt Smith. Confusing. Karen Gillan. No. Bernard Cribbins. Move on. The alien is a stick with a ping pong ball on the end. I may hurt you in a moment. Okay, park that thought. This one's brilliant. The alien is a table. What? No, no, an inanimate table. It'll be like... Look out, Pond. Behind you. What is it? That table. It's an alien. Really? How do you know? I just do, all right? Don't ask silly questions. Are we in danger? Perhaps. We may well have unknowingly walked into a terrible trap, concocted by an unknowable, unthinkable, utterly alien threat. It's not moving. No. There. It moved a bit. No, it didn't. Right. I've just remembered the table alien is quantum locked. Until you take your eyes off it. Nope. All the time. It is always and forever totally inanimate. Fiendish. What are we going to do now? Let's sit down and have our packed lunch. That is ridiculous. Okay, okay, I see where you're coming from. How about this? It's invisible. Invisible? Yeah, 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 no, hear me out. It's invisible most of the time. We can probably do a couple of CG shots, but mostly it's created through the art of mime. Hmm... I I don't know. Perhaps we could work with it? Yeah, actually, the possibilities are quite interesting. Anything else? Oh, just one more thing. We can't afford the tentacles or the jetpack still. So it's going to look like a rubbish chicken horse? Richard? Uh, I say Richard! Oh, well. Guess I'll write it myself, then. (coughs) 
Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of the Oodcast. With me today in the studio, I have Chris Alpha. Oh, hello. Chris Sigma. Bonjour. And Handy Andy Candy Only from Tandy. Hello. Et moi, Laura. That is the way uh, French people talk on the telephone, isn't it? They say, hello. It is. And also on poor British sitcoms. (laughs) No, that's hello, hello. Hello, hello. Yes. Not that that was a poor British sitcom. Actually, no, it was excellent to begin with and went downhill. Let's not hello her anymore. (laughs) Ooh, she's on fire. In her own brain. So without further ado, it's time for the Oodcast News. Oodcast News. Welcome to the Oodcast News. This week... Following the broadcast of Vincent and the Doctor, language experts have worked out the following. The Seventh Doctor sounded as Dutch as Amy. Perry was from Birmingham and Sarah Jane Smith hailed from Sydney. The computer voice from the Seeds of Death sounded Gallic. Interestingly, the Ninth Doctor had the poshest received pronunciation of all the Doctors, leading to speculation that in the episode Rose, he was referring to North London and not north of Watford. French cultural officials are seething as it appears that BBC production staff unwittingly vandalised Van Gogh's painting of the sunflowers by adding the words for Amy in permanent marker. The Society of Historical Medicine have added a new treatment for medical illness to their catalogue of historical methods. It's an exciting time, said a spokesperson. We can now add throwing stones at someone's head to other methods such as trepanning, electroshock therapy and exorcism. The efficiency of the method for curing bipolar disorder was not recorded. After such a convincing performance on Saturday evening's episode, the Oodcast can exclusively reveal that Matt Smith has been offered a chance to serve in the new coalition government here in the UK. A spokesman for 10 Downing Street said that the Minister for Arts and Artiness would be a newly created post, but Matt Smith would bring just the kind of energy to the government that the PM is looking for. And finally... Richard Curtis has openly spoken about his original script being rejected by the Doctor Who team. He said that the first draft being set during an episode of the defunct Channel 4 daytime favourite Watercolour Challenge did not go down well. Alright then, starry starry night of a thousand chickens. Or a chicken that's the size of a thousand other chickens. It did look a bit like a turkey, didn't it? It did, didn't it? Yeah, but the episode was so not a turkey. I loved it. That was the best link you've ever done. (laughs) Do you know, I was quite proud of that. It just came to me in a flash and I said it and I thought, yeah, how many? Let's let's not overcook it though, Andy. Let's move on. (laughs) Yes, you know, don't want to overcook a turkey. (laughs) Uh, Do you think, how do you think they got it out of the abbey? Like, you know, did Vincent sort of direct the operations of how to, 
get it out of there and bury it and stuff. Yeah, I, I think it would be an interesting scene. Maybe they just left it. It's open. Sorry to disturb you, Vicar. I was wondering if I could have a moment of your time. Of course, Charles. And what can I do for you on this glorious day the Lord has seen fit to bless us with? Well, it's about the flies. The flies? Yes, in the nave. The parishioners have started to complain. They're overwhelming. I see. Buzzing around during Evensong, it's hard to concentrate on the prayers. Last Sunday, the choir master inhaled so many, he said he was too full to take his supper after the service. Well, the Bible does say man shall not live on bread alone, does it not? (laughs) This is no time for levity, Vicar. There's also the matter of the smell. I had noticed an unpleasant odour, I have to admit. Unpleasant is an understatement. It smells like someone's dumped a large pile of rotting meat in the middle of the church. It is quite uniquely pungent, yes, and it reminds me vaguely of chicken. I've had Marie search underneath all the pews and around the altar, but she can't find anything untoward. It's like it's invisible. Like the Holy Spirit? Yes, exactly. Only it makes you be a little sick into your own mouth. What a wonderful turn of phrase you have, Charles. Oh, thank you, Vicar. I was wondering what we should do. Have you tried airing out the building, opening all the doors? Of course, uh, but the doors haven't been quite right since the break-in earlier in the month. Oh, yes, I remember. Terrible business, awful mess. I'm just grateful nothing was taken. On an unrelated matter, have you noticed the rats are looking much bigger and better fed? I wonder if Mad Hildo, the itinerant Dutch woman, has been feeding them behind our backs. It's the miracle of God's kingdom, Charles. All his creatures find ways of surviving. We should feel blessed to observe the humble majesty of it all. That's easy for you to say, Vicar. But one bit me last week. I think they're getting a taste for flesh. Oh, Charles, how fanciful you are. Now, is there anything else? Just wondering whether you've made a decision about young Arlene. Ah, yes, the altar boy who keeps falling over despite the fact there's no obvious obstacle in his way. (laughs) I don't think we can condemn a young man for being clumsy now, can we? But last week the incense went everywhere. He almost knocked out Monsieur Batillon when the Thurible went flying. Quite. Well, I can't find it within myself to scold him. A lot of the congregation seem to be falling over recently. Even I took a tumble the other day. I had no idea, Vicar. Are you all right? Oh, no, I'm fine. Thanks... For whatever is that noise? It's mad old Hilda, the itinerant Dutch woman. She's in the middle of the nave. What's she doing? She appears to be floating, Vicar. Floating? Well, let me see. It's a miracle. I, I can scarcely believe my eyes. One of our own parishioners speaking in tongues, her whole body hanging seemingly unsupported in midair. <laughs> this could be the sign we have prayed for. Quick, Charles, fetch witnesses. Of course, Vicar. O wonderful day, O blessed miracle, Lord, thy works are surely glorious and mysterious in the extreme. Praise God that mine eyes have seen this glory. I must write to the bishop at once. Oh, it's all squishy between my toes.
So I'm gathering we all like the episode then. Yeah. Chris Sycamore, did you love it or like it? No, I absolutely adored it. I thought it was just brilliant and, and definitely contended for the best episode mm. of the season in a very mm-hmm. different way because the other ones I've liked because of their sort of visceral action and the humour that they brought to it. This one was considered and beautiful and like a rare crafted jewel as opposed to a rollicking action tale. But I still thought it was absolutely brilliant. But I do think that maybe a lot of Doctor Who fans will not like it because it was the show doing something different. Mm. Now, of course, Richard Curtis' life has been touched by people with bipolar disorder. So that the episode, I think, really came from a place of someone who knew the disease, mm. Mm. and I thought it was really beautiful. I felt that too. I thought it put that across very strongly. One of the reasons I really love Doctor Who is that it it explores broad themes and ideas, but puts them into an entirely fantastical setting. But what this episode did was that it took a real character and we actually met him and got to know him and were faced by um, the, the, the illness that he had in a real way. And I thought that was really striking for Doctor Who. To an extent, the whole episode was sort of a, a kind of a summation of the whole of Van Gogh's personality, I think. It was, you know, masses and masses of stunning beauty mixed in with these really horrible demons that you're not quite sure are real or not. No mm. one else can see them. It's, it's a really, I thought it was a really interesting kind of simple but quite complex Fantastic way of aesthetically as well. Mm. The way they captured his paintings within the oh. the mise-en-scene and the, the set dressing and everything. That, yeah, that that's fantastic yeah. cartoon element where they're looking up at the sky in, in that triangle. The CGI of the starry sky turning into the Van Gogh yeah. painting, wasn't that awesome? Yeah, that, I was going to mention that. That was probably the single most stunning piece of television I've seen for a long time. Yeah. Aside from the fact that's one of my favourite paintings. Mm. <laughs> that was just incredible. And it was just totally seeing it through Van Gogh's eyes uh, as it transformed before you. It was like you were seeing it as he would see it. Oh, it was breathtaking. Okay, I was going to say hands up who shed a tear, but make a noise if you shed a tear. Yep. I didn't. I was a bit sad, but I didn't cry. Oh, yeah. I was a little bit put off by the music at the end. It's the only thing I wasn't terribly sure about was the use of the athlete song at the end. It's a nice, it's a lovely song. And it's a very Richard Curtis moment, but I'm not sure about the use of songs in Doctor Who. Yeah, it took me out of it, but... And, uh, and it definitely made me think about it. The overall scene was great and it was really touching. And it, it did kind of bring a lump to my throat but at the same time it sort of it it just catches a it also bit. validated the use of bill nye because i thought if it was just <laughs> yeah. that tiny bit at the beginning why do you get such a high profile actor just to do that even if it was a favor it just looks like stunt casting mm. but to deliver that last speech oh. well you needed an actor of caliber yeah, yeah. and to have him there was such a blessing i think such a nail on the head moment but speaking of fantastic acting i just thought the chap portraying vincent what was his name tony curran what an amazing performance to sort of the, to go from that blank, terrifying despair to absolute exhilaration. I mean, it really was just mm. a quintessential portrayal of bipolarism. I, I've yeah. seen I've seen a couple of comments here and there about people who were well, by people who don't like the fact they had a Scottish accent. Ah. 
and there's terrible giving Vincent van Gogh a Scottish accent. They didn't give it to him. He's a Scottish actor, and they did deal with it when he asked Amy, are you from Holland too? That's quite clever to me. It's the TARDIS circuitry in people's heads yeah. translating it. Yeah. The yeah. idea that it gives Dutch accents Scottish is just a brilliant little eccentricity <laughs> yeah. of the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just having a laugh. I love it. Because also at the same time, you've got a creature who's a TARDIS can't translate what it's saying because it's just too animalistic. So <laughs> Dutch is, you know, <laughs> not too far off. Yeah. Oh, blöken, blöken. Um, anyone else felt that the final scene was a bit dodgy, taking someone out of their time to see the effect they had? No, no the it was future. absolute no. wish no? fulfillment for me. Yeah? Yeah. In it was fact, brilliant. as the scene opened or just before it, my my little sister who was watching with me said, wouldn't it be, just be wonderful if they could just show him Aww. how much she was loved? And then they did. And the doctor knew that it wasn't going to make a difference. He knew that because of the condition, just because he knows that in the future he'll be loved, that doesn't stop him on the day that he mm. sadly took his life. The doctor knew he wouldn't change anything huge. He says it to Amy as she runs up the stairs to look for all the extra paintings. I'm not sure there will be if, any. If, if nothing else, I think it actually kind of gives a reason why m- most of his paintings survived when he was in that kind of state where he would quite happily just paint over on his paintings because he thought it was rubbish. Mm. Um, so uh, they did have an effect. It's just possibly that not one that Amy realised. So maybe the one he painted over when he drew the the turkey creature, he didn't paint over that. In the change timeline, he used a blank canvas. Yes, who knows? I really liked the um, machine thingy with the rear view mirror and all of that. I thought so, they're getting better at creating TARDIS technology. Because the first attempts uh, in the last few series have been a bit dodgy. I think the Ghostbuster vacuum cleaner was the most (laughs) dodgy example. But now they seem to be of the TARDIS, but still quite sort of interesting. Although actually it was a gift. steampunky, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. I love the uh, impressionism stroke Gainsborough joke that came out of it, where it just came up, came up with like a parrot. No, it's not a parrot. Is it a dog? Oh, I can't work it out. <laughs> that, was a, that was a polar bear. Oh, was it a polar yes, bear? I thought it was not a, dog. a doggy. No. Okay. Once again, we've got this fallible doctor who, despite everything he does, can't ultimately fix the situation. He can get so far towards making things better that he's not going to save people from themselves and i i quite enjoy that aspect of this new doctor it was brilliant the the last because of course i guess there was a temptation you could leap forwards and see vincent in his final moments but there was a surreal pathos about the last time we see him he's incredibly happy and ready to face the world and he walks off that's the last time we see him as triumphant and brave and happy I don't know whether anyone noticed whether it was just in my mind. I saw a shot, um, a still shot from that final scene where Vincent's walking, oh, I think he's walking away from the TARDIS, and there is a branch that comes across the front of the screen that is in the shape of the crack. Oh, don't. Ah. Really? <laughs> and before, until then, I'd been thinking, well, there's no crack. Do you know, guys, I reckon there must be lots of things that Stephen Moffat has, like has asked to get into the episodes, which either look like the crack or refer to stuff in the finale. And I think that us fans, when we go back and have a look at the DVD box set, we'll start to go, ah, look at that. Oh, did you see that? And ooh. Vincent van Gogh postcards on the fridge next week. Did anyone see in the preview? Really? The lodger. Ah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that the tree branch looked a bit like a crack and perhaps that was a hint of what was to come. But I, during that final scene, I was just watching his face Mm. so intently 
and there was that sort of slight euphoria tinged with self-doubt you know mm. as it disappears and he's just said i'm gonna march out on the world with my easel a changed man yeah and you think it, it, it's no. back to that line that that vincent says to the doctor isn't it where, where he's, you know, we battled monsters together and we've won i'm not so sh- sure i'll be so good on my own mm. and that is that's just some of the stuff they they said say to each other in the last few scenes is just incredibly deep and touching and it's uh, the bit where um, the Doctor and Vincent hug at the end, um, you know, he says that, I'm not sure I can do it so well on my own. And Matt Smith's face. And there was a moment, a real moment of... Um, pathos? Pathos in, in Matt Smith's face. It was definitely Vincent's story. And also Amy's and that connection they had was, mm. was great too. And Karen Gillan, again, was almost note perfect this week mm-hmm. after my slight mm-hmm. stern talking mm-hmm. about her acting <laughs> she last week. She, she took it on board. To you. She took your notes, she Chris. She did, yep. Um, but also, there are some great bits with the Doctor. little bit of character development. There's that great bit where he was, I'm getting old, I'm getting old, I'm so stupid. I'm making mistakes, I'm a bumbling old yeah. man. And is, uh, when he's getting all nervous outside the Abbey when Vincent is painting and he goes, is this how time normally passes? In order, really slowly. I like the fact that that was said during a montage, which by its very nature is split up into sections of time. <laughs> yes. yeah. Yeah. I also really enjoyed the idea of Vincent Van Gogh being some sort of well, goch. Van Gogh? Apparently, well, we American? apparently it be... properly it's pronounced Van Gogh. Yes. Van Gogh. Anyway, Hoch. I like the idea that he might be a synesthete with what he was saying when he goes off on his mad coffee rant. I can hear the colours. The colours speak to me. And every time I... I, It was was quite a sensual speech. You know, nature's calling out to me to come and capture my beauty. It's Mm. almost like, come ravish me with your paintbrush. And then the payoff line, no more coffee for you. Perhaps some nice chamomile tea. I thought it was a a wonderful sort of symphony of colour and emotion. All just all the bits falling into place, some incredibly intuitive writing with fantastic portrayals from supporting cast and main characters alike. Very, very enjoyable and not too spoiled by rubbish CGI. And if you'd kindly follow me. In this room, you'll find the museum's incredible collection of works by the Grand Masters. Here, for example, is Claude Monet's painting of the Doge's Palace in Venice. What's that? Monet painted this on a trip to the beautiful city in 1908. There's something weird in this painting. You're right. That's not on my postcard of it. Can't make it out, though. It's a little blurry. My dear sir... That's what Impressionist paintings are like. No, look, it's like a monster in the water. A bit like a huge water spider. Moving on, the next painting we see is the wonderful work by L.S. Lowry, A Riverbank. What's Cybus Industries? What? Cybus Industries. It's on that factory near the back of the scene in the painting. I don't remember that being there before. I thought you were an expert. I am. I studied art history for nearly ten years. I did my apprenticeship at the Musée d'Orsay. But you've never noticed that before? Um, apparently not. Let's move to the next one, shall we? Ah, ah, now. This one I'm confident I know inside out. 
I wrote a detailed study of the brushwork and composition, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Scream, by Edvard Munch. What's that green thing in his mouth? It's like a snake with sharp teeth. Oh, that's horrible. What? I, I can't see anything green. Where? There. Ah. Um, well, how about we move on to the next painting? James McNeil Whistler's masterpiece, Arrangement in Grey and Black, The Artist's Mother. What a boring painting. Yeah, it's just like an old woman sitting in a chair. It's a study of motherhood, a wonderful portrait of stately womanhood and the progress of age. So what's wrong with her hand? What do you mean? Here, look. It looks as though it's flipped open. And is that a gun in her hand? What's going on here? All of these paintings have been vandalised. Well, not all of them. What? Well, this one looks like a Dali. But there aren't any Dali paintings in this gallery. Oh, yeah, that's right. I love this one. It is a Dali, isn't it? No, that's not a Dali at all. Oh, go on with you. It is. It's one of those melty ones. You know, like the one he did with the clock melting all over the tree branch. This isn't even a painting. It's a photo of an actor called Matt Smith. For me, uh, Doctor Who has been my television series since I was nine. And I've defended it and, and kept the faith through all these years. And every time someone says it's all about wobbly sets or rubber monsters or bad writing or bad acting or the new series being too soapy or not having effects that are the same as their American cousins in terms of quality. This is my show when it does things like this, when it takes us to new places, when it it tackles issues on a Saturday tea time that no other program could in a way that no other program could this is why i love it so much this is why i podcast on it because of episodes like this i'm just so glad that we have these mm. sort of, it, we're in a golden age i mean we mm. say this so often but it's brilliant i'm with you all the way there mate mm-hmm. oh, I, I think despite the fact we joked about it quite a lot at the beginning of of our series i, I think if richard curtis wants to come back and do another one i'd be very happy to see that absolutely <laughs> And uh, it wasn't just us that was inspired by this episode. Laura, your dad as well. Do you want to say about that? Yes, my dad came over to my house and we all sat down as a family and watched the episode together. And the next morning he couldn't sleep. He was so inspired by it. He got out of bed and spent two hours writing this song. Monsters come at night Visions only I can see The colours sing their songs to me And rage against the darkness of my soul So I live alone Painting stories I should tell Visions I can't even sell To raise a glass of wine or crust or bread Who can understand What these visions mean to me As I sat there in the cemetery As I tried to set them free You both listened Are you listening still? I hope you always will Paint the sky with stars Beauty from this life of ours Human flowers placed in jars 
the inspiration that you gave to me when you took my hand. I felt that you could understand. Lying facing heaven's door, you smiled along with me, and yet you saw. I cannot explain why I have to feel such pain. Killed a blinded creature without shame. Was he all alone like me? They never saw him, and they never will. Perhaps he lies there still, and she could not love me. Nor stay as my wife, and yet the things you show to me of the time that's yet to be could fill my heart with joy and eyes with tears. But I could have told you, Doctor, that knowledge of the future couldn't paint away the fears. Starry, starry blue. With wonders such as you, those who believed in me were only two. Though many in the years still yet to come, my life's upon a track, fighting demons after you went back. Vibrant colours push away the black as I fought to keep the darkness from my soul. Yet I understand what you tried to show to me, listening weeping in the gallery. Still, it couldn't set me free. Have the flowers that you gave to me, and the other dreams I see. Incredible, yeah. He wrote really, really played good. the guitar himself as well. That's obviously Don McLean's Vincent is the is the base of it. But uh, all new lyrics by Adrian Simpson. There's a family that's stolen most of my family's talent, so it's not fair. No. Oh. Um, speaking of which, um, yesterday um, a small blue box landed in my garden, <laughs> um, and and a small doctor popped out to have a word, and he answered some of your questions. So. Uh, here is a quick couple of minutes with the littlest doctor. Hello, I'm the doctor. Hello, I'm Chris Alpha, and I am with the littlest doctor. Say hello, littlest doctor. Hello. Hooray, that's good. Right, so we've got some questions for you. The first one is from April, and she wants to know, what is your favourite planet? Gallifrey. Definitely, definitely Gallifrey? Yes. There's your answer, April. Um, The second question is from Tonya, and she wants to know, if you have a stubborn Dalek, how do you help it understand that it's better to share? Speaking Dalek language. You speak in Dalek language? Yeah. And what do you say? 
if it doesn't change, exterminate its toys. Wow, that's draconian. And the last question is from Wanda, and she wants to know, this is the first Doctor Who I'm attracted to. Where do I get this scratch itched? Fingernails are good at scratching. I think you'd use that. <laughs> right, so um, that's an answer too. So use your fingernails. Anyway, so thank you very much, Doctor. You're going to help us with some more things soon, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Excellent. So if you have any more questions for the littlest Doctor, the next time he lands on Earth, because he's been off doing lots of adventures, apparently, um, he will be happy to answer them, won't you? Yeah. Excellent. So from the littlest Doctor... Bye. And from me, goodbye. Today from anything. Hi, and welcome to Late Night Art. And tonight we are discussing one of Vincent van Gogh's most critically acclaimed works, The Church at Auvers. We're lucky enough to have the original here in the studio with us tonight. Which explains the rather burly-looking security guards you can probably see at the side of your screen. Indeed it does. Now, to the painting. After staying in the south of France in Arles, and then at psychiatric hospital in Saint-Rémy-de-Provence, Vincent van Gogh settled in Auvers-Oise, a village in the outskirts of Paris. His brother, Theo, concerned with his elf, incited him to see the Dr. Garchet, himself a painter and friend of numerous artists, who accepted to treat him. During the two months separating his arrival on May 21, 1890, and his death on July 29th, the artist made about 70 paintings, over one per day, not to mention a large number of drawings. This is the only painting representing in full the church in Auvers that may sometimes be distinguished in the background of views of the whole village. This church, built in the 13th century in the early Gothic style, flanked by two Romanesque chapels, became under the painter's brush a flamboyant monument on the verge of dislocating itself from the ground and from the two paths that seemed to be clasping it like torrents of lava or mud. You, did, you, did you see something move just then? Where? In the painting. Of course not. Come on, let's crack on. We're going out live. If one compares this painting with Claude Monet's paintings of the cathedral in Rouen, painted shortly afterwards, one can measure how different Van Gogh's approach was from that of the Impressionists. Unlike Monet, he did not try to render the impression of the play of light on the monument. I saw it again. I can't see anything. Where did something move? In the window of the church. Nope, nothing there. But I swear... Even though the church remains recognisable, the painting does not so much offer the spectator a faithful image of reality than a form of expression of a church. The artistic means used by Van Gogh anticipate the work of the Fauvists and Expressionist painters. I saw something this time. In the window? In the window. Shall we take a closer look? I think I'm going to have to. I know the great portrait paintings have eyes that follow you around the room, but not windows on paintings of churches, surely. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Ghostbusters 2. Uh-huh. Creepy. I want to leave. What are you waiting for, then? I'm just going to have a quick look and I'll join you. Okay. I'll see you in a minute. Now, then. What do we have here? What? No! That's not possible! Ah! Let go! Stephanie! Ah, 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 ah. 
You? Did you call me? Hugh! Hmm. He must have gone out the back way. Quite a packed show this week, but uh, we are nearing the end now, I'm afraid. Um, it just remains to say that we are available all over the internet in various ways. Uh, m- mostly, you can go to our website, which is www.theoodcast.com. Or you can go to our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash theoodcast. Or we're on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at twitter.com slash theoodcast. I love it when you talk about Twitter. It's like a dog walking on its hind legs. Or you can email us at theoodcast at me.com. That's correct, Andrew. So that's all from us this week. Um, Thank you for sticking with us for another week and we hope to see you again on the next episode. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Laura. Au revoir from me, Christophe. (laughs) Uh, Goodbye from me, Chris Alpha. (laughs) And bye from me, Andre. Health and safety authorities in Auvergne are concerned at the strange smell emanating from the centre of the courtyard. The church has become a place of pilgrimage, as visitors describe a strangely sweet chicken-like smell and a viscous substance collecting on the flagstones on the floor, which, if rubbed onto the skin, is believed to cure various maladies. A spokesperson for the church said, Les gens trébuchent la toujours. Ils sont fous de se frotter ce truc sur le visage. Ils sont comme un poulet de saint on. The alien is a stick with a ping-pong ball on the... <laughs> <laughs> oh. <clears throat> the alien... <clears throat> Don't laugh at your own jokes, Christopher. <clears throat>